Mini episode 1300 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1300. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here. And I've got the same two guys here that I had with me, coincidentally, for mini-episode 1100. We were talking baseball then, we're talking baseball now. This is our 2020 World Series recap. FDH Lounge dignitaries Ken Detweiler and Steve Callis. Steve, additionally, co-host of the Callis Remarks podcast with Joe Stazak, frequent guest on Joe Stazak's show on 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia, and sports editor of the Westchester County Post, that is at westchestercountypost.com. These guys were here for our World Series preview, and they are going to be helping me break it down today as far as what happened, this being 2020. Of course, there's a lot that's off the field. There's a lot that's weird and wild. In addition to all that, before I throw it to these guys here, a couple quick notes, and uh, I will credit Wikipedia for this as far as some interesting things uh, in this year's World Series. I had heard this, we had heard this coming in, that this was the fourth time in the wild card era when both teams with the best record in each league played in the World Series, and how extra unlikely that was with the best two out of three round that everybody had to play up front. But in the end, the two teams with the best records in each league were there. I had heard that remarked upon. I'd also heard a little bit of this remarked upon, this being the first World Series to feature the cities that hold the NHL and NBA championships in the same year, Lakers and Tampa Bay Lightning. Of course, that happened very recently, this being 2020. So one of these cities was going to come away with two titles, and now we know who it is. I had seen previously first World Series since 1944, when it was the St. Louis Cardinals and the St. Louis Browns, for it to all be played at the same field. But uh, this is also the first World Series since 1993 to have all games played on artificial turf albeit with the improved field turf of these days. uh, There's not as much of a difference between uh, artificial turf and natural grass as there used to be, but that is still uh, kind of an interesting note. And uh, something that I've been looking at in recent years here, because the Dodgers, Giants, and Cardinals historically have predominated the National League pennants, that this appearance in the World Series for the Dodgers, they passed the Giants to take back the record for most National League pennants. And, uh, of course, the Dodgers made it count this time. And uh, so we'll talk about that. I throw it to my good friends and fellow FDH Lounge dignitaries. Ken Detweiler, of course, I used to sidekick him on Life's a Pitch with Ken Detweiler on the Sports Talk Network back in the day. So I go back to the year 04, talking baseball on virtual airwaves, talking with this guy. And uh, Ken, over a long stretch of time, I don't know that we've ever talked any baseball that matches up to the weirdness of 2020, my friend. <laughs> it's crazy. And Halloween, too. Happy Halloween to everybody. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and also, did I leave out the fact we have a full moon? Uh, yeah, yeah. And the clocks turn back for some parts of the country. That's right. That's uh, right. It's it, uh, an extra hour of 2020 is all we need, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Happy Halloween, yes, the time change, whatever. Of course, that gives away when we're taping this as opposed to when it's being posted, because in order for this to be 1300, it has to follow another thing that's yet to come. But yes, uh, for everybody that's listening to this, I hope everyone enjoyed their Halloween. I hope everyone enjoyed getting their extra hour. You know, sometimes we peel back the curtain on this thing. Can we admit now that when we recorded our World Series preview that we had two of them in hand? We also had Dodgers Braves ready to go oh prior to Game 7. We can we can break kayfabe on that one. And, uh, you know, yeah, it is always a pleasure getting together to talk baseball with you guys. And uh, that, of course, includes uh, my good friend, the counselor, Steve Callis. 
who, uh, again, we've been talking baseball with now for uh, well over a decade on this show, as well as talking other subjects. And uh, Steve, a pleasure to have you on for this one here. I couldn't imagine doing the 2020 World Series recap with all the weirdness without you being a friend of it, a part of the show, big guy. Wow, great to be with both of you guys as always. Just a, a strange end to a strange season, and I know we're going to get into it in more detail, but the strange end to me being the total abdication, the total abdication of what taking your gut to analytics and that of course was taking uh blake snell out in game six um when it looked like he had things going so well he had pitched as well or better than virtually anybody in the entire series i don't know if you want me to go heavy on it now rick but that to me was the final piece in the puzzle of uh kevin cash was watching the game but he didn't see what was going on you know what? Let's start there, because there'll be enough time to get the things off the field, and uh, we will talk about that and the way that COVID impacted this series. Uh, as far as it goes, though, yes, let's start there, and I will ask you to follow up on that, Steve, because, again, this is one of these deals where, when you're looking at it, this is a circumstance where you're not going to bring out Blake Snell for Game 7. I mean, once in a while, you will see a starter come out, uh, and then uh, make a little bit of an appearance the next night. It's been kind of rare. I think Randy Johnson might have done that in 01, yeah. come back in. Yeah, I mean, That's right. but uh, Snell wasn't yep. going to do that. And you had a chance on those nights because he was dealing. He was just absolutely at the top of his game. And to make games two and game six the games that you put away because he carried you to victory. And the whole thing about third time through the lineup and everything like that, again, I agree that this is, and I've always said, I think we're all in agreement on this show. Analytics is a wonderful tool when you incorporate it into your toolkit, when it is something that you use to guide you. And few teams, if any, have used it better than Tampa Bay in fairness. If they weren't so good at it, they wouldn't be here at this point of making it to Game 6 in the World Series. There's no question about that. But in that moment, and the one way where I will, and I have a lot of affection for Kevin Cash, long time, coach here uh, with uh, my Cleveland Indians, and I think he's a tremendous manager, one of the very best. The thing of it is, too, I mean, you don't have to have watched Moneyball to know that it wasn't all his uh, uh, idea on that. Front offices are very involved with analytics-oriented teams here. This would have been meetings before the game as far as Kevin Cash and the people above him. If it gets to this point, this is what we're going to do. Now, yes, he should have, in that moment, called an audible, so to speak. I, I know it's the wrong sport to say called an audible, but I'm going to say it anyways. You'll let him go because, again, whether it's the eye test or anything else that analytics people might scoff at as far as how you're going to put it, that guy, when he's going, when you have a guy that is one of the best aces in the game and he is going to that degree, look, even Dave Roberts, who was loath to show up another team, right? Dave Roberts didn't sugarcoat. He's like, well, thank God he was out of there. We were so happy they pulled him. I mean, you would have expected, you know, Dave Roberts is a classy guy. You would have expected something a little more diplomatic, but he was straightforward with it. Everybody in the world thought it was a mistake, except for Kevin Cash, the folks in the Tampa Bay front office, and in the end, Steve, we were right and they were wrong. Well, I think this was really kind of another second guess it was at the time. You know, it was like incredible. But I'll adopt what Kevin Cash said afterwards, which I'll give you some quotes. But first I want to go through what was happening. And then I'll tell you what I think was the real reason that, of course, nobody, as far as I've heard, has mentioned. But Snell, as you know, was dominating the top of the lineup. You, you heard the stats on the telecast. The first three guys in the order had both struck out twice against uh, against Snell. He had made Mookie Betts look terrible. He wanted to extend that to the top four guys. So he had the top three guys were all for six with six strikeouts as they came to the third time around. If you want to extend it to Max Muncie, the cleanup hitter, he struck out once and hit a 25-foot dribbler in front of the plate that Snell came in and threw him out at first. So the top four guys, and these guys are four stars, four excellent hitters, 0 for 8 with seven strikeouts and a 25-foot dribbler. The top four guys in eight at-bats hit the ball 25 feet combined. Right. <laughs> as, they came to the, as they came to the third time around. The other stat I love, which you guys will love, will be Blake Snell became the first guy in the 
World Series to strike out nine guys in the first four innings since some guy named Sandy Koufax in 1963 against the Yankees. Wow. I mean, that's how far you have to go back to find somebody as dominant as Big Snell was in the first four innings. Now, I'm going to read you what Kevin Cash said because I have some quotes. I also have the Dave Roberts quotes, which I will get to. Uh, this is my biggest pet peeve in the World Series. I might take a little time. Rick, cut me off if I'm going too far. But Kevin Cash, quote, Personally, I felt Blake had done his job and then some. Mookie coming around for the third time through, I value that. I totally respect and understand the questions that come with it. I don't even know what that means, but you were essentially a moron who didn't see what he was watching. You're <laughs> all you want. Uh, six pitches after Blake Snell was taken out, the game was over. It was 2-1. And finally, Kevin Cash again after the game, quote, If we, not I... Maybe you're right, Rick. Yeah. If we had to do it over again, uh, I would have the utmost confidence in Nick Anderson to get through that inning. So I want to talk just briefly about Nick Anderson. His 2020 postseason, 14th in the third innings, ERA 5.02, strikeouts to walks 9-4, to a little over 2-1, and home runs 3. As he came into the game, as you guys probably know, he had given up a run in six straight appearances. That is the all-time postseason record. When he finished this game, he had given up a run in seven straight. That's a record that may never be broken. Compared with his regular season stats for Tampa for the last two years, 37 innings pitched, 1.43 ERA, 67 strikeouts to five walks. That's 13 to 1 if you're scoring at home. So clearly, Kevin Cash was looking at regular season stats and not postseason stats when he went with that idea as well. So he made two mistakes. He pulled Snell and he put the wrong guy in. But more important than anything I can say or anybody else could say is what the Dodgers said. After the game, Mookie Betts, quote, like a sigh of relief. Had he stayed in, he may have pitched a complete game. He was rolling. He was pitching really, really well. Uh, to your point, Rick, Dave Roberts after the game, quote, I was pretty happy. He was dominating us. Mookie <laughs> looked at me with a little smile. He wore just all kinds of excited. Snell was out of the game. Finally, Corey Seager, MVP. <laughs> Once he came out, it uplifted us a little bit for sure. We started feeling a little momentum. And you know what happened. Mookie doubled down the line. He hit a rocket down the line. We'll talk later about the shift and why, and maybe you can speak to this, why in a one nothing game in the sixth inning, which looks like it could be a one nothing 2 nothing 2 one game, you're not standing on the foul line like in the old days. Yeah, so I just want to talk about Mookie Betts getting home on a ground ball to first. If you recall, in game one, he did exactly the same thing, and I know you guys know this, but when you bring the infield in, if you have a slow runner on third, you can bring the infield in to a certain amount. If you have a fast, brilliant base runner on third, like Mookie Betts showed in game one of the World Series when he beat a throw home, you got to come in even more. So when they hit a ground ball to first, Choi is in, but he's not really in, and he, field the ball, he fielded the ball cleanly. He made a good throw to the plate, and on sheer speed and base running, running ability, secondary lead, good jump, on with the crack of the bat, head first slide, he beat it, and frankly, he beat it rather easily. That was a gigantic run in the game, as you guys know. So, and of course, Betts again hits a home run in the eighth inning because he's Mookie Betts, that made it 3-1. But I thought after those six pitches from Nick Anderson, yeah. <laughs> and don't forget, by the way, Turner almost did a home run, right to the winning track. Right. <laughs> that would have yeah. been a total disaster. But uh -huh. um, I just want to say one more thing. Here's my view of what really was going on in Kevin Cash's mind. Okay. It couldn't have been it couldn't have been three times through the order. You know why? Because four of the previous five games, he let those pitchers, including Blake Snell in game two, go third time around. Blake right. Snell in both starts went five guys. Right. Uh, Blake Snell went two, Charlie Morton went two or three, four out of the five games. So that didn't sound right. Here's what I think happened. Blake Snell in game two, he's out there with a 4 nothing lead. He's pitching well. He's not dominant like he was in game six, but he's pitching well. And here's what happens. The number eight guy walks. Chris Taylor hits a home run, 4-2. to two. Mookie Betts walks. 
And then uh, Seeger gets up in singles, and that's when he pulled him. And I think in his mind, he was like, this guy got a single, first guy up got a single, and now, oh my goodness, what happens if the next three guys get hits? Just like in game two. I think that's why, and of course there was nobody there to ask him that obvious question, or say to him, well, hold it now, Kevin. Four of the first five games, you let all these guys, including Blake Snell, go into the three times the order. What happened? But nobody really had figured that out at that point. Sure. So I've said more than enough. I want to hear what you guys have to say. But a colossal blunder, and again, to me, the abdication totally to analytics. Well, long story short for me, I'll just make it quick. I don't disagree with anything you said. I'm going to turn to you, Ken. There's a lot to unpack there as opposed to on the core question of Snell getting taken out. I mean, I know you have very strong thoughts about that. I, I guess I'll ask you this in two pieces then. Let's start with Snell. I know that uh, handling pitchers is something that you've had to do in your long career managing high school baseball and you know being a youth coach and everything like that. So thoughts on that, uh, Ken. I, I've been waiting to hear you opine on this ever since it happened. Uh, well, just to go back to the Snell uh, cash thing, just uh one thing I did as a personal growth uh, issue is I can now read uh, lips. Okay. I was taken out of the game. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and um, I had always wanted to learn how to do that, and I could definitely see a couple of words that I truly understood. <laughs> so, I was like, whoa. So, but <laughs> there I digress. Um, yeah, it's something that we've done at the high school level now. We were aware of that. I always tell the head coach, not being that, just being the assistant of the pitching coach on the varsity. I, I want to kick him sometimes when you go the third time through, especially to the heart of the order. These guys have seen everything you have. Yeah. In this case, which is totally different than high school baseball, obviously, um, they already know what you have before you saw them for the first time. So. I would just, I, I'd have to agree 100% with what you guys are saying with this stuff, simply because this guy was cooking, though. Um, I mean, like Steve mentioned, and Rick, you agreed to this, his ball was hopping and moving. Yep. And moving. And the thing, the hardest thing to teach pitchers is to have them moving that ball. Right. Up, not only just up, down, in, out, but everything is got a little movement on it. If it's straight, if it's like a clothesline, you might as well go to a batting cage. Right. Snell's pitches were dipping and diving and moving. He was feeling it. You don't take a guy out at any level with that kind of stuff. Uh, and I understand it's one nothing, but I go back to when the Braves won their World Series, uh, one to nothing against us. Yeah. Cleveland, Cleveland Indians. So I agree with... Like I said, everything you guys have said, Steve, you said could end up being one to nothing. The way he was going, yes, his pitch count wasn't up. The ball was moving. He was feeling it. He had a chip on his shoulder. Right. Uh, is what it looked like to me, anyway. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I think I think Cash. I'm not going to say he was out coached or out managed. He just maybe he pulled the ball. Really, he just that was it. Well, right, right. And I want to follow up with you on the other point there, Ken, but again, as far as it goes, the Cleveland Indians in their two recent World Series eras, yes, Snell wasn't throwing any flat Eric Plunk slash Brian Shaw fastballs with his team in the lead. They had movement on it. <laughs> so, you know, there was, there was none of, there was none of that. And, uh, again, to, to, to Steve's other point here, vis-a-vis, uh, how you put the shift on, how you guard the lines in a situation like this. And again, shifting is very much, again, 21st century slash analytics. It works well, by and large. I mean, it, it works well on a macro level. But again, in the micro level of this specific situation, not guarding the foul lines, uh, again, I know you must really have some thoughts on that based on decisions that you have made as a skipper over the years. Yeah, it's, um, it's just, you know, we've got all these analytics, and that's great, but baseball is still the same game. Right. Uh, in my opinion. And, and that's, that's, and I use analytics all the time, or what I used to call stats, uh, to prove the point to the players and things like that, what we would do. 
yeah, you take first and third, you take the lines away, outfield, you don't have anything over your head, you're getting the sign out there, it gets over your head, and then also, you don't let any doubles happen down the lines or any of that stuff. That in the game, or that close to the game, or that much on the line, let him single you to death. Let him bunch you and move over and play small ball. Most of the major leaders, I don't think, can play small ball. Right. Um, so that's even an advantage to the defense again. Uh, but I think we get, not only in baseball, but just about everything in life. Uh, I could go into the COVID, I could go into this and that, the elections, blah, blah, blah. We've got way too much information in front of us. And I don't think it's all that difficult sometimes. And this would be one of those instances. Yeah. Find your horse until he, until he shows that he doesn't have it anymore. He'll show you. And, and uh, there's no signs of that at all. Yeah, but, I... Yeah. I agree with that completely. I, I think you are right about that. What I want to do, I want to get some thoughts from you guys, additional thoughts between the lines before we turn to look at the COVID parts of this, that this was a series, ju- just to give you some of my things off the top of my head that were notable in the ratings. Again, uh, just terrible ratings throughout. They did at least get higher as it went along through the series, but setting negative uh, ratings numbers here, negative ratings records, I should say, uh, through the course of the series. So this was something that perhaps uh, not unexpectedly uh, the mainstream didn't find to be as compelling. Uh, we knew coming in that it would be excellent baseball for people who love baseball. That was the case. Uh, one of the macro-level stories to me is that the hot players, by and large, on both teams stayed hot. For example, it wasn't the fault of Rosarena that uh, Tampa Bay didn't win the World Series because that guy went out on his sword. And you go on down through the line, Corey Seager, the MVP, carrying it over from being the NLCS MVP. That's very rare to win both of those back-to-back, but he managed to do it. Uh, whether it be Mookie Betts, who had a tremendous series, uh, Kershaw kept uh, momentum going. Uh, he had clearly his best World Series. Uh, this was uh, outstanding also for uh, Walker Bueller. And uh, all throughout here, a lot of the stars on both sides, the ones that were really hot coming into the World Series, carried it over, kept it going at that level. I'm going to start with you, Steve, as far as your remaining thoughts between the lines on this before we turn to look at the COVID stuff. Yeah, I got a few. One one more on Mookie Bet that I forgot to mention earlier. He was historically very good against lefty pitchers. This year, both in the regular season and in the postseason, he was horrific against lefties. And I think I heard a stat uh, during the telecast where he had slugged from Tom Verducci that he had slugged his slugging percentage against lefties during the season, this short 60-game season, was 218. <laughs> And I believe he said it was the worst among all players in Major League. Wow. Uh, just another example, another reason not to take him out. And that kind of strikes me as a statistical, analytical thing. But in any event, you're totally right about Randy or Rosarena. Um, guiding come up to August 30th. He had 10 home runs in the postseason. All-time record. 29 hits. All-time record. I will say this, and maybe we'll talk about this later. The extra two games at the beginning... I know he got um, four hits in those two games. I don't know how many home runs he hit, but he was just unbelievable. And they just couldn't find a way to pitch to him. They'll have to try and find something for next season because this guy was just unbelievable. Corey Stegger, as you said, in the World Series, MVP in the NLCS and the World Series, 400 batting average, 538 OPP, 700 slugging, 1.238 OPS. Those are video game numbers. Four doubles, two homers, series best seven runs scored, five RBIs, on base 14 times, more than any other player on either team. I have to, I think, a little bit take my hat off, and I'll tell you why just a little bit, to Clayton Kershaw, who has been horrific in the postseason. But you have to give him credit. He got got two wins. He pitched a total of 11 and two-thirds innings, which I guess you guys will tell me is the way it is nowadays. Roberts got him out quickly in game five because he thought he was going to lose it a little bit. But I will say a few things. First of all, four wins in the postseason. He pitched against the Milwaukee Brewers in a, and I'm putting this in quotes, postseason game, that ridiculous one against eight. He beat. He beat for a postseason win and eight shutout innings to get his ERA down. He 
he beat a team that was 29 and 31. And most of us would say, you know, uh, Milwaukee Brewers, pretty good hitting team. Not this year. 223 average. Their, I believe it was their OPS was third lowest in the National League. They hit 75 homers as a team in 60 games, which no longer is good. Right. <laughs> in the old days, that was good, but that's not that good anymore. They were middle of the pack in home runs. So to get credit for a postseason win, eight shutout innings against a 29-31 and 31 team. Remember, the Astros almost made the World Series of 29-31. and 31. How embarrassing would that be? Right. But you do give them credit for two World Series wins. He is now 13-12. and 12. I think there should be an asterisk against beating a sub-500 team in the postseason. I'm sure that's never happened in the history of baseball before. I remember the 73 Mets were 83 and 79, and it was like a joke that they made the playoffs. But, you know, they went to Game 7 of the World Series against Oakland. And the final thing I'll say about Kershaw is in Game 1, the Dodgers were winning 2 nothing in the 4th and 6-1 in the 5th. A little easier to pitch that way, as you guys know. And in Game 5, they were up 3 nothing after 2. So, again, Kershaw pitched well in two World Series games. They now have him, like many pitchers, a 5- or 6-inning pitcher. Um, and so I guess that makes him good. You know, everybody loves Kershaw. He's such a great guy. I've said in the regular season he's Sandy Koufax, which is kind of blasphemy where I live. But it's true. Go look at his regular season records. But in the postseason... He's been horrifically bad. Not to bring up something that will bother you guys, but when the Yankees scored seven earned off of Shane Bieber, <laughs> they put up a thing. No, they put up a thing at ESPN. Um, most earned runs given up by a pitcher in a postseason game when they've led the major leagues in ERA. <laughs> First on the list is Clayton Kershaw. Eight earned runs. This is like back in 2013. Second on the list is a tie. Clayton Kershaw and Bieber because they gave up seven earned runs. Just to give you a sense because you can paint this guy as the greatest pitcher ever, regular season forever, but don't tell me how great he is in the postseason. Before it started, a guy asked a player on the Dodgers, oh, Clayton Kershaw has 11 postseason wins. What what does that say to you? And of course, the guy gave the obligatory, he's a great postseason pitcher, he's great, he's good, he's hot, he's our leader. And the guy left out the fact that he was 11 and 12. Yeah. So that's just my own personal <laughs> bias against Clayton Kershaw, because at best, at best, he's been mediocre. But give him credit, he was 2-0 and in this World Series, and the Dodgers broke that 32-year streak of no World Series victories. Yep. Excellent notes there, uh, as I expected. And uh, Ken, I know you will rise to the occasion as well here. Uh, additional thoughts that you had on watching these uh, two skilled rosters go head-to-head. Yeah, I think they're both going to be, well, I don't know about Kansas, but I think that L.A. got a, got a run in them here for quite some time, and hopefully Kansas is too. On another note, whenever Steve, I don't know about you, Rick, but whenever Steve says, you know, I everything about da-da-da-da, but don't want to offend you guys, I cringe and want to leave the room. Um, you know, because then Bieber comes up and he totally trashes him. So, uh, you know, so. <laughs> and I know anytime you say but, nothing good follows. That. That's so, right. But, uh, but then she laughs around any a little bit more. So it's uh, you know, nothing that. <laughs> um, but anyway, no, I thought it was a well played, except for that snow capsule. Uh, I thought it was entertaining. Um, as you know, I picked the Dodgers. I think we all picked the Dodgers uh, to win it with our head, not our heart, in my case. Um, but I'll tell you what, the most impressive part of the whole thing with both of these outstanding teams was Phillips. Yeah. And I just, I still have that memory. That, that's right up there with Mazeroski running around the bases, and these guys are chasing him all up with his arms like an airplane. I mean, I just helped my wife and Rick, you know my wife, she's not a big baseball fan or mm-hmm. anything, but she listens to me nonetheless, puts up with me. I was telling her, I said, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea who this guy was. He's been in the middle of the lineup at the time. And I'm like, because I had just flipped it back on and boy, glad I did. And, yeah. Uh, no, it was a well... It was a fun season. I wish it had been a regular season, like we all do. But uh, there are some memories, good memories. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you were totally right to bring that up, the ending to Game 5. It, it is one of the all-time World Series classics as far as how that went down. Phillips, the last guy on the bench, coming in and getting that hit and uh, going in there. I will say vis-a-vis predictions uh, here for the World Series. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be me if I didn't do a little ball-busting on this. You, you mentioned all of us picking the uh, Dodgers here. I do I know... Well, oh, you did. Oh, well, another, another I'm sorry. well, well, but here's here's the thing, though, Steve. And again, I gotta I gotta good naturedly give you some noogies here because you were kind of like, well, yeah, you know, basically they picked up Mookie Betts, but he didn't have much of a uh, regular season. I think Mookie Betts and his rabbit ears were listening to you because now he's got two World Series in three years, my friend. <laughs> Would anybody pick the Dodgers in six? That would be you, wouldn't it? I said seven. Oh, wow. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. my. Really? <laughs> and like, Pinocchio just came in the room. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well played. And, uh, again, for let, let's just say, for any of the three of us to get that right on the nose, it wouldn't have surprised me. But uh, unsurprising that uh, you are going to uh, do that. So, yes, as far as it goes for accuracy, you were the most accurate uh, among the three of us here as far as how it goes. I want to talk about this uh, as well. I know we're going to have some ranting to do on the whole COVID situation. My observations are this, uh, that, first of all, very on-brand for Major League Baseball to come to basically 99.9% of the way through the, the, the thing and basically step on their Johnson at the end. Whether it be the embarrassment of tests coming back mid-game, the first one, the first COVID test for Justin Turner inconclusive, and then having to pull him in the eighth inning, uh, whether it be failing to keep him from coming onto the field afterwards and, and just letting it happen and letting him potentially turn the post-game celebration into a super spreader event, posing for a picture next to his manager, Sans Mask, a manager who is a cancer survivor in Dave Roberts, oh, by the way, uh, Andrew Freeman saying, well, you know, he's a free agent. What are we going to do? He's not a free agent until November 1st. Uh, Major League Baseball does it that way for a reason, uh, is so that you still have some disciplinary control over your players after the last pitch. So shame on Andrew Friedman for that, for, for what he said and did to uh, basically uh, try to excuse the situation here. And for Justin Turner himself, I'm just going to say this. My sense of it is, I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, I think the way it works with Time Magazine and their Man of the Year is that they go for the person most representative of the year, not the most admirable person or whatever. I nominate Justin Turner for Time Magazine Man of the Year because in this year of our pandemic, with all the stupid, selfish, entitled people of the world who are like, but it's not fair that I don't get to do this, but it's not fair that I don't get to do that, Justin Turner going back out onto the field deliberately with COVID, pulling his mask down, potentially exposing a whole bunch of people, including, oh, by the way, a pregnant woman out there, the wife of one of his teammates, I understand. All these things here. Who could be more representative of all the a-holes in this country that are spreading this disease at now unprecedented rates as we're taping this? This third spike that we're just starting now is going to be the worst one. We don't know where it's going to go. And it doesn't just happen. It happens because of people like Justin Turner that just don't give a crap about their fellow man. So, again, we've all missed out on things here during this year. I'm about to miss out on, there are some things I've done with getting together with close family over the holidays that I've done since 2004. And it's not going to happen this year. And it really tears me up. But I'm not under the delusion that I'm the only person that's being deprived of something here. Justin Turner was under the delusion that he was uniquely affected by this. I'm the only person who's being deprived of what I'm owed, and so he went out there and did it. So there's my thoughts on it. The whole thing, a complete shite show on his part, Major League Baseball, on down the line. I know you guys have some thoughts. Steve Callis, let her rip. Well, shame on everybody, especially Justin Turner. I mean, just from top to bottom total shame on everybody. I know baseball's defense was they had the head of security. Oh, the whole head of security went up to Justin Turner and he vehemently did not, you know, refused to come off the field. And I think they actually thought of the optics of leaving him there versus physically escorting him off the field. The better idea, I think, 
because they said, you'll recall, they put him into isolation in the eighth inning. And of course, that isolation lasted, I guess, two innings. But uh, it would have been more intelligent to either take him right to the hospital or at least get him off the grounds. That would have solved any and all problems relating to this, other than the timing, which I still think we're going to find out after the fact, maybe. There was a cloudy test in inning two, but a positive test by inning seven or eight. And everyone, all the reports where they took him out in the middle of the game, no, they took him out with a 3-1 lead, with, you know, in the eighth and ninth innings. So uh, that's a little spooky. You, The best point you made when you have Dave Roberts, Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor from um, – from 2010, literally next to Justin Turner, as Justin Turner literally takes his mask off. And also, I didn't know what you said, Rick, a pregnant woman around there. Uh, this is beyond stupid. We're now, I think, for the first time, they're reporting there were 100,000 cases in the United States. This has been a disaster from beginning to end. Don't want to get political. The president knew about it in February or even late January from those Woodward tapes. Uh, and didn't want to panic the country, and look where we are now. And the other problem is now, of course, so if you're in New York where I was, and you saw what happened in March and April, and what happened was people dying on beds in hallways in hospitals. They never actually got into the ICU beds. When you see that, that kind of, you know, scared the Northeast, and I think most people were saying, eh, it's those blue states up there in the Northeast, those idiots in New York. And virtually nobody learned from what happened in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And poof, here we are six, seven months later, and everybody, virtually everybody, is going through the same thing. But yes, you're right, Rick. Justin Turner is kind of exemplifying what a lot of idiots across the country are doing. And when the history books are written on this, again, I don't want to get political, they're just going to say... All we had to do was wear masks, and if we wear them now, between now and February 1st, we'll save like 90,000 lives or something. I don't know exactly how those things work, but the point is, not the 90,000 number, the point is we could save tens of thousands of lives right now, and that simply isn't happening, and I think I'll say it again, shame on baseball, shame on security, shame on the Dodgers, but most of all, shame on Justin Turner. I can't, I can't improve on anything you just said there, and that, again, what this comes down to in so many cases, and, and that's the whole thing or two. What's that old cartoon of, uh, you know, we have met the enemy and he is us? It's the yeah. stupidity yeah. of stupid, selfish people in this country throughout this year. If people had changed their behavioral patterns to try to be more considerate of those around them, we wouldn't be at 100,000 or on the doorstep of it. And to me, like I said, Justin Turner, is he's the snapshot of this year. He is the snapshot of American entitlement and the face of, I deserve what's mine no matter what it happens to anybody else. And, uh, you know, Ken, I know that you're somebody who has always cared about community and those around him, and you've always been a very considerate person. And so uh, I know, again, that really had to tear at you when you saw that scene. Yeah, a couple of things stick out for me is um, the, the, the security guy, the head of security, uh, somebody was the head of making sure everything was secure. Get him out of there. Fire fast. Yes. Pardon my language. Yes. But somebody, somebody has to take responsibility. And that's one thing. Again, I guess this kind of goes back to Turner. Nobody's taking responsibility for their own actions, let alone that of others. Why do we have security there? First of all, did Turner, did you happen to look around and see there was nobody there uh, through the whole playoffs because of this COVID thing? Uh, did you not know your manager was a cancer survivor? Um, you know, she just, she's irresponsible. Uh, and this goes, this has to go all, all the way up to Manfred. Not a big fan, and I'll get into that later on, but he's going to hand out Penalties, I hope, some kind of fines or both. I don't know where this. Well, perhaps he's not, but that would be my uh, that would be my recommendation. Let's start. You know, I mean, we we handed out penalties, not, and probably maybe as severe as what happened to the Astros. Let's start making people pay for, for their actions. Make them accountable. Yes. Honest to God, and I think that's one of the worst things that Steve had said earlier. I'm going to get political. I think, and maybe this isn't political, it's just a matter of our society. We don't take 
accountability at any level for anything anymore. And it just fries my uh, tacos, I guess. I don't know what to say. No. Listen, no, I hear you. That's very well said, Ken, and that that's a thing here where, uh, again, it's it's people like Justin Turner, it's people like him who don't give a crap about what they think they're entitled to, what it might be costing other people in terms of spreading this thing. And this is not merely a thing of exposing yourself, you know, potentially exposing other people. Somehow or another, he got this. And we need to know the story behind this. There needs to be an investigation because I don't know that this was necessarily a bubble they were in. It was only a true bubble if they weren't leaving the hotel once they got back there. And maybe that is the case. It's certainly not a bubble the way that the MLB, or I'm sorry, the NBA and NHL ones were. Uh, but anyways, for him to have gotten this, okay, it wasn't just like, oh, well, there was a busboy that was infected and he picked it up off of his soup spoon. I highly doubt that's how it happened, that via a room service order, the guy got COVID. Somehow or another, he put himself in a situation to get this because there were protocols in place to make sure that none of them would get it. And nobody in Major League Baseball had gotten it. And what, what did they say, like 58 days or something like that? So... There, we need to know the story of how he got it. Hopefully there are investigative reporters working on this right now. But where it went from there, when he knew that he had it, uh, to go out there and risk giving it to other people and risk the adverse effects to everyone involved, I knew that was going to be something that would just sicken the three of us because it's just, it, it's, it's one of the worst things related to any major sporting event, one of the worst. We, we can talk about selfishness as far as me first stuff, a guy acting like an a-hole on the sidelines yelling at a coach or anything like that. This isn't that. This is risking human lives. This is taking the whole selfish athlete thing to levels that we're not used to talking about because generally you don't see athletes endangering the lives of other people out there on the field. And this is what happened in the middle of a pandemic. So I knew we were going to be wound up on that subject in particular. For any additional thoughts, I'll just start her kind of around the horn here uh, with you, Steve. Well, you know, a bizarre baseball season. Uh, they did the best they could. I thought they made a colossal blunder, as usual, because if they could have gotten together, and this was about money, of course, not about COVID, if they could have started three or four weeks earlier, they would have at least had a monopoly, a total monopoly, early on after five months of nothing. Uh, but they could not get their ducks in a row. Both sides to blame. It's all about the money. Um, but just think if they could have started earlier, because when they started, the NHL playoffs had started. They went right to the playoffs. The NBA would have gone from like eight games and then the playoffs. And so baseball was overrun by playoff hockey, not as important, but playoff basketball. And I'm sure their ratings were terrible. Come to September, what comes in? The 800-pound gorilla in the room, the NFL. So they at least did a decent job of missing <laughs> of missing a few football games, as you know. Right. Uh, but but overall, a poor job in terms of seeing baseball. My son's in his mid 20s. He loves baseball. He said, "Daddy, I got to tell you, I hardly watched." And I said, "I got to tell you." I hardly watched at the beginning. The 1-8 stuff, the 2-7 stuff, that initial two games was a joke, except for 4-5 series like the Astros or the Yankees and Cleveland. Um, you know, it struck me at the beginning as kind of like the first day of uh, March Madness. And stupid, I thought. And, you know, the other problem forward-looking that I see is Manfred has said he wants more playoff teams. Not 16 like this time, but more than they had. So the regular season that has been so cheapened in our lifetimes, when we were kids, and, you know, the winner of the AL played the winner of the NL, and then in 1969, two divisions, you had to win something to make it in baseball, more so than any other sport, it was great. When they went wild card, I remember writing articles, my defense used to be baseball, the only team where you have to, the only game where you have to win something to get into the playoffs. That left with the wild card. Please don't tell me winning the wild card. What that means is you didn't come in first. So now they're going to improve. They're going to expand the playoffs. Why? Money. You guys know why. And then the second thing that I've heard that Manfred wants to do is bring that man on second in the 10th inning 
as a permanent aspect of Major League Baseball, Ugh. which just makes my head explode. The one thing I've said jokingly over the years, and I know you know this, Rick, I probably said it with you, is if you really want to shorten baseball, if you want to make it like it used to be, make it a seven-inning game. Right. The problem with that, which in theory would work, by the way, you have starters going out to the sixth. Oh, he's coming out for the sixth inning. Oh, a complete game. Oh, my goodness. What a guy. What a pitcher. And nobody comes out for the ninth anymore, literally. What are they, five complete games a year now or whatever it is? But right. um, that's so against me as a purist. But having said that, I watched a few of these seven-inning doubleheader games, and you guys probably did too. And you know what? They're a lot more watchable, and I'm thinking more of young people than us. I'm going to watch anyway, but seven inning games, two hours, everybody's trying to make everything shorter. Um, I've written for years, if you want to, if you wanted to change the game by 20 minutes, just have one minute less commercials between innings. Puff, it's 20 minutes shorter. That's never going to happen. Why? Follow the money. So double headers. Well, the best you can hope for is day-night doubleheaders. Why? Because they're not going to give you two games for the price of one like when we were kids. My dad and I went to Yankee Stadium every time there was a Sunday doubleheader. Why? Because we saw two games for a dollar or two dollars or whatever it was. So I think they're going the wrong way. I think even with the World Series, they can't start. The Super Bowl starts at 6.15. I understand it's one game, it's on a Sunday, but that's why a gazillion people watch the Super Bowl. World Series, if you're on the East Coast, where we live, you know, they start at 8.07. I mean, come on. You're not going to see it at 11.30, especially if tomorrow's a work day. So they have so much work to do, and I think they're just going the wrong way. More playoff teams, I understand it's for money. Man on second to start the 10th inning, I'm sure that's making your guys' heads explode. So I've said more than enough, but I think it's still the gang that couldn't shoot, shoot straight, running baseball with a Harvard Law School-educated commissioner and Rob Manfred. True, and again, and a lot of the things here, they do, in fairness, predate uh, Manfred, and it's a thing, but again, he was, this is how sports leagues do it, right? Goodell moved up in the NFL because he was Tagliabue's chief lieutenant, Tagliabue was that to Roselle. This is how leagues do it. Adam Silver was chief lieutenant to David Stern. Everybody promotes from within. A lot of these things, obviously, the worst issues in baseball started under Bud Selig and have mushroomed under his successor, but, I mean, we are where we are right now. And, I mean, to me, Ken, if you want to sum this up pithily as far as where baseball is, I would say it would be Manfred's got a Manfred. Well, and Steve did not a lot of points that I was going to bring up, and I'm glad because it seems like we're all putrid spirits here as far as this goes. Um, so I appreciate that. Manfred is the absolute worst. And, Steve, if you want to tell your son that he didn't watch the game and many of the games, wait till next year. It's going to be a cluster. Um, yeah. You know, we've got this economic stuff that's happening with the COVID thing. Brad Hand and others are just getting lopped off because everybody's got to cut payroll because not everybody, but teams like Cleveland uh, has chosen to do that. And everybody was hurt financially as far as ownership goes. Um, but the seven anything is the only thing that I'm really excited about. I think this would work uh, for all the reasons that you said, Steve, not to just regurgitate all that. Um, free agents, are they going to kick back? Because these guys who are at the free, you know, are up for free agency. Hey, good luck having a big payday. Uh, because that's, I don't think that's going to happen, along with the, with the economic reality of everything in 2021. You've got labor issues. And we know how that's gone. Most of the time, it's been in recent history, it's gone fairly well, very well, actually. I don't see that coming this year. I see storms, storm clouds gathering for 2021. I hope I'm wrong on that. But, um, you know, the universal DH, I could carry it either way. I'm a purist, but uh, I like to fish this bat, but I know I'm in the minority as the younger people come along. Expanded playoffs. Eh, no, thank you. Uh, sorry, but that's just the way I feel. Expansion, are they going to go into expansion in the next year or two? Uh, you know, there's been talk of that coming up. I hope that doesn't even get addressed. That moving on second base, just, I can't say it on the on, on floor, but I really want to say <laughs> coaching speak, and they get a little talky there. But uh, that is one of the silliest 
things I've ever heard in my life. Um, but they're my abbreviated rant uh, of where I see the game that I love and have coached and played for my entire life of games. Uh, with that brief hiatus of four years that Rick, you and I were together yep. on life's a pitch. Um, yeah, it just breaks my heart because, yeah, I know I'm a dinosaur, but that's just the way I feel. Well, you know, let me bring it all the way around on this note here. As far as the three of us who really are kind of purists saying that we would appreciate seeing it go to a seven-inning seven game here, I mean, this is reminding me of the old thing from Seinfeld with Jerry and Elaine. Sex to save the friendship. Here we are, shortening the game to make it more pure. I mean, that is, that's where we're at. I mean, this is our Seinfeld moment, people, but just because it's unlikely, (laughs) you know, it it doesn't mean that it's true. I'm going to say, who's who? Well, I'm I'm Kramer. I know that much. I know I'm Kramer. But uh, (laughs) but, uh, whoever draws the short straws, Costanza, right? (laughs) But uh, you know, we will uh, we will see how all of this plays out. And uh, you know, before you know it, because of the weirdness of the calendar here, uh, it, it won't be too long before we're previewing next season. And in a conventional year, this wasn't the case this year, but in a conventional year. Our uh, preview for the season will coincide with what will be our Don Coster tribute and our annual moment to kind of take a moment and celebrate and uh, reflect back on uh, the colleague that Ken and I used to talk baseball with back in the day. So we're actually not too many months away from that when we preview the 2021 season. And hopefully the 2021 season will be more normal because that will mean that society is back to being more normal and all of us really, really need that. We have a very rough stretch ahead of us here in the next couple of months in society, and uh, hopefully by the time baseball rolls around, hopefully there is healing in baseball, healing in society, and that's all we can really hope for. That would be excellent for 2021. But uh, getting through this, uh, it's always easier to do whenever you have an excellent panel like this. You can't do any better than Ken Detweiler and Steve Callis. I really appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Uh, this was a mini-episode worthy of a milestone number, 1,300. Really appreciate you guys being here, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to mini-episode 1,300 of the FDH Lounge.